0: seems like the past year plus some months, we have seen more turmoil, more trouble than, than ever before. I know that's not true. Objectively, it's not true, but it seems like it. It seems like it. And this last week, we see a hurricane is barreling down on the Gulf shore, and we have an unspeakably troubling situation in Afghanistan. In fact, when I was in the lobby, I found out that one of our church families has already been impacted by this, an extended family member, one of the 13 Marines that was killed. This is taken from Facebook. Taylor Hoover was one of those who was tragically killed in the terrorist attack. Every week, we could identify some circumstance in the world that we should pray about and you know it's it's tempting sometimes to just focus in on one after another after another but we can't do that we come together we come to worship God we come to study his words but there are some times when we we do want to pray about world events and I think this is one of those times I also want us to pray for those who are here that are trying to find their way to God, but they're not quite sure what the next step is. That might be you. That might be you this morning. It's not that you don't believe in God. You believe in God. But it seems as if all your efforts in the past to connect with God have failed. And you're beginning to wonder if it can happen at all, if maybe... Everyone else, they have some sort of relationship or maybe they think they do, but you can't seem to get there. I want to pray for you. I want all of us to pray for you if that's where you are. Those of you online, we want to pray for you. Join me, would you? Heavenly Father, we do pray for those who are here in this room or watching online that feel shut out from your presence that, that know they need they know they need a touch from heaven, but they're not sure that they're not sure that you're there. Or at least they're not sure that you're there for them. May you, by your grace, open their eyes to see, their hearts to believe. May you bring them, Lord, into a new place today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the families that are affected. Lord, some of our church families are affected by this hurricane. They have loved ones there on the Gulf Coast. Lord, we pray for the people of New Orleans and the surrounding areas. We pray, oh God, that you'd keep them safe and we we commit them to your care. And Lord, the unspeakably horrible events happening right now in Kabul at the airport and the surrounding areas. Lord, the danger that our servicemen and women are in, but also, Lord, that civilian Americans are in, and Lord, Afghans that are in danger. And Lord, we know that the danger didn't just begin in this last two weeks, but it has been going on for years, and sometimes we forget that. There is so much heartache in the world and so much heartache in this part of the world, but Lord, we pray for mercy. We pray, oh God, that you would that you would spare lives and that you would You would intervene. Lord, we pray that you'd give wisdom to our leaders who desperately need it to figure out next steps in this this situation where there seems to be no way forward. Lord, we pray for them and we ask you to give them that. And Lord, we open our hearts, our minds to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, Jesus said something. Uh, I think, remarkable in John chapter 17. He's praying for his disciples. He's soon going to go to the cross and he's praying for his disciples. He says this in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by truth. Jesus wants his people to be holy, but he wants them to be holy in the world. He makes a point of saying that these, my disciples are not of the world. They don't belong to it. Their values are different. Their commitments are different. And as a result, the world hates them. But I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. They're not to pull back into some safe enclave as if there were such a place. But in the world, Lord, help them to live in a manner that they, they show themselves to be faithful disciples. As we sometimes say, in the world, but not of the world. That's what we're called to be as Christians. We're called to be faithful followers of Jesus in the world, but not adopting the world's ways. Now, sometimes that is simple. It's a a matter of just choosing between right and wrong. And usually that's where preachers camp out, trying to exhort people to make the right decision, not the wrong decision. And in order to make that point and to enforce that exhortation, We sometimes reduce things down to black and white because we're trying to say a choice is necessary. But you know what? Life isn't always that way. Not if you live in the real world. In the real world, there are lots of difficult issues we have to deal with. You've got good and you've got evil and they are intricately woven together. And sometimes you're not sure what the right thing to do is. You just don't even know. You don't know how to pull those things apart. And you face questions that, well, they leave you unsettled and uncertain. I think we all face situations like that. In the world where you're trying to live for Christ, you're going to encounter situations where there are no easy answers. Some years ago, it's probably been 10 years ago now, I had a student in one of my classes at seminary. I wouldn't say we were friends, but, but we, were, we were moving in that direction. I really liked him. He's probably, if not the brightest student I've ever had close to it. Very thoughtful young man. He came to my office and we were talking about oh, some theological issue of one kind or another. But as the conversation lengthened, he started hinting around in such a way that I thought, you know, he's probably dealing with same-sex attraction. And what I tried to do was to send him signals that I wasn't about to judge him, that it would be safe to just open his heart, let's talk. I wanted him to know that I was his friend and would be his friend. So this conversation's going on, not just that one time, but subsequent times as well. But we never got to that place. The semester was over. Eventually, he graduated. And sometime later, I got an email. It wasn't just to me. It was a group email. And this young man, I'll call him Matthew, said that he has reached the decision. He had been in therapy for quite some time. Many, many months, perhaps a few years, his wife as well. And Matthew had reached the conclusion that he was, in fact, a woman and not a man. And he was beginning the transition. His wife was supportive of that decision. He wanted me, and not just me, others who had meant something in his life to know about his decision. I have to tell you, this email that he sent was so gracious. It was so vulnerable. He just wanted us to know. He knew we'd not find out, and he wanted us to know. And he even made the point that I'm sending it to you uh, because I really do appreciate you and the role you've had in my life. That, that email really really affected me. And I began to pray because, like I say, I held Matthew in such high regard and, and did after this email. I held him in high regard and, and I was troubled for him. And, and I wanted to write an email back that would, that would affirm him in every way that I could. I couldn't affirm his decision. I don't agree with his decision. But I wanted to signal clearly that I cared about him, that I still wanted to be his friend, that I would pray for him. So I sat down at my computer, had his address in my email program, and I typed, dear, and I paused. See, the email he sent to me, that Matthew sent to me, was signed Madeline at the end. Dear, what do I type? Do I type dear Matthew? It's not his real name, by the way. I've changed both these names. But he's a real person. Do I type dear Matthew? Or do I type dear Madeline? Christians disagree about that. Everything depends on circumstance, but Christians disagree on that. Some Christians say, no, you should not use the new chosen name because you are, in effect, approving of what they've decided. Others say, look, you need to show some grace and use the name they ask you to use. And I have to tell you, I felt the tug of both those options, And and this was nearly 10 years ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago. So this is on the front end of a lot of this. It's not like I had thought a whole lot about this beforehand. So I'd start the email, dear, and I didn't know what to write. I just put it aside, came back to it later, and I got stuck on the same point. I wanted to connect but I wasn't sure. I wasn't comfortable just writing Dear Madeline. I wasn't comfortable with it. I felt, like, I felt like I was in some way accepting this decision or signaling that I accepted. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just telling you what I was dealing with at that moment. But I wasn't, I wasn't eager to put Dear Matthew because in a way, no matter what I say in that email, after I say Dear Matthew, I'm saying this. You know, I'm rejecting what you are asking of me, and, and, you know, I'm holding you at arm's length. I don't know how many times I sat down to write that email. I never wrote it. I never wrote it. He sends me an email where he opens up his heart, and I learn about this pain with which he had lived for some years. And he tells me about this decision that is monumental, to say the least. And he writes me because I'm somebody important in his life, and I answer with silence. Because I was so conflicted, I didn't even know how to, how to address the email. Even to this day, my conscience bothers me that I never answered that email. But you know, you can understand the conflict there because you face conflicts like that. In fact, some of you face conflicts almost exactly like that, but you can't opt out because it's not an email to someone who is a student in class. It might be a very close friend or a family member. And you've got to figure out some way to relate to this situation. People face these things all the time. The last church I pastored, one of the members was a judge, and he sat down one day, and he said, listen, I am having a terrible time. He said, I'm really uncomfortable in in my Sunday school class. I said, well, what's wrong? Well, it's all, you know, the, the strong opinions people have. This is right after the Supreme Court had legalized gay marriage. And he said... People in the class, they are are clear. You know, we need to take a stand. We need to fight this. We We need to do what we need to do. No more compromise. And he said, I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, I'm a judge. I have taken an oath to uphold the law. And that decision by the Supreme Court plays its way down all the way to even decisions I have to make. So what do I do as a Christian? I may not agree with the law, but I have sworn to uphold the law. He says, it's not just in this area, it's other areas too, where as a judge, I sometimes have to enforce a law I don't really agree with. But if I just throw that aside, how does that advance the course of justice? A judge has to uphold the law. And if Christians simply abdicate every time they don't agree with the law, then we won't have any Christian judges. He says, this is something that's really difficult for me, and people have such strong opinions. I'm afraid to say anything in my Sunday school class because I think everyone's going to judge me and get angry with me. Wow. Now, you know, it's not just judges. This happens to students. This happens to teachers. This happens to people in business. This happens to, to social workers and nurses, and doctors. Increasingly, it's happening to professionals in all fields as, as values that are contrary to the Christian faith are being enforced, and you're having to having to figure out how you're going to navigate it. Some time ago, I went to uh, listen to an author, Larry Hurtado. He is top New Testament scholar. I mean, one of the top New Testament scholars in the world. He wrote this marvelous book called Destroyer of the Gods. And he talks about how Christians stood against the culture of their time. One way they did it was they insisted on sexual purity in a culture that was awash in sexual sin. See, a lot of times people think, oh, well, you know, back in those days they were against, you know, adultery and, and homosexuality and all that. Actually not, actually not. It was widely accepted. But the church said, no, faithfulness to God in such things. And they, they took some heat for it, and a lot of people called them haters for it. They really did. They called them haters of humanity because they took that stand. So he, he was talking, Larry Hurtado was talking about this book, and someone asked him about contemporary Issues and how those are impinging upon the church and making it difficult for the church because Christians are having to make some of these hard decisions. Somebody asked him, actually, it was me who asked him. And he said, In the days to come, Christians are going to have to learn to live by their wits. Those of you who are younger, you are especially going to have to learn to live by your wits in the day ahead. That is, you have to be faithful to Christ living in the world, but you don't want to be of the world. But as you're rejecting the ways of the world, you don't want to be falling on a sword for no reason. You, you want to be faithful to Christ, but you also want to make your way in the world. So, so what about that? How do you do it? And let me say, if, if there's ever difficulty in this area, It's for parents more than for anyone else. It's parents because they are trying to teach their children what the scriptures teach, but they're hearing so many other points of view and they're trying to help their children to understand what's right, to stand by what's right, but to do so in a way that doesn't put them in, in one awkward and painful position after another. It's not that sometimes you don't have to pay a price for following Christ. But look, let's not just make life impossible for our children. We have to help them navigate these difficult issues. So parents are struggling with this. This is a very difficult thing. So Jesus says that he's not praying to take us out of this world, but he wants to keep us from the evil one. Somehow we need to negotiate these things, and that's what I want in four very brief points to talk about. I don't have the answers on all these things. I mean, I really don't. There are so many imponderables. But I think I could share a few insights from Scripture that could help you as you seek to be a follower of Jesus in this world. And the first point is this. You need to embrace the tension because there's tension in this teaching Jesus gives us. It's inescapable. It is baked within Christianity, in the world but not of the world. If if you try to get rid of the tension, if you try to escape that, Then you will either try to pull out of the world into, as I said before, this little enclave where everything's safe and everything's Christian, this bubble. You can't really pull it off. The world is going to seep in, whatever enclave you create, but you can try to do that. And that's what fundamentalists try to do. They have these rigid rules that you have to follow. And they try to keep everything out. And you've got parents who try to do that with their kids, and they can't do it. And the kids sometimes down the road end up rebelling against it. But that's the way you can try to reduce the tension. You say, you know what? I don't want to be in the world. I'm going to pull out of the world. On the other hand, there are lots of people who go the other way. And they say, you know what? The world's really not that bad. They've got a point here or there, and they Christianize everything the world says. People do this all the time. Whatever, whatever the world is saying at the moment, they Christianize it. Well, you know, really, that's, that's, that's really deeply Christian. And, and they'll talk about Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus who actually taught things that you're supposed to observe, but the Jesus of their imagination that pretty much says everything you want to do is okay. That too eliminates the tension. But there is no escape. Being a Christian means living in the world, but not of it. So if you feel the tension in your world, you're probably in a good place. You're probably where you need to be, feeling the tension. So what do you do when you face that tension? Well, that's when, number two, we need to seek God's wisdom. And when I use the word wisdom, I mean it as something other than rules. Now, there's certainly rules in the Christian faith. We've got a Bible that has commandments, and you could call those rules. So I'm not saying there are no rules. What I'm saying is in the real world, rules are of limited help because things are so complicated I just gave you some examples. You could give examples of things that are so complicated and you're not sure what the right thing to do is. So you don't have a simple rule in the Bible that you can apply and say, okay, this is right and that is wrong. It's interwoven. And you are having to try to discern what the best thing to do might be. That's why you need wisdom or spiritual insight. The Apostle Paul talks about this. Philippians chapter 1, if you go ahead and put that verse up. Look what he says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. How are you going to know what's best in your situation when you're in one of those awkward situations where the choice isn't clear? How are you going to do that? You need knowledge and spiritual insight. And it's then that you're able to balance out the different issues and make a choice. That's what I needed when I got that email from Matthew. That's what many members of our church have needed when they've gotten that invitation to a same-sex wedding. That's what a friend of mine needed when he was told he needed to fire somebody who he believed with all his heart didn't deserve to be fired. But he was told in no uncertain terms, you need to fire that man. Texas is an at-will state so you can fire somebody without cause. This man wasn't in a so-called protected class. So he says, fire him. So my friend can protest. He can make a big stink. He can even resign. And then that man's still going to get fired. And now my friend's family is in jeopardy. So what do you do? See, you need wisdom. So where do you find wisdom in situations like this? Well, first of all, you have to pray for it. That's where it begins because we're talking about God's wisdom, not some worldly wisdom, not some pragmatic plan where you just manage to get what you want, but God's wisdom. So we pray for wisdom. Look what it says in James chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There's a promise you can hold on to, that God will give you wisdom. And then not only praying for wisdom, but getting counsel and advice from other people. That's so very important. There's a great proverb, Proverb chapter 26. It says, surely... You need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. We have this Bible study at the church called The Dwelling. A lot of young moms go to it. And Vicki Lassiter is the teacher, and she deals with a lot of vexing issues like I just brought up this morning, and many more. And these moms are divided up into... Groups and they sit at tables, and at each table, you have an older mom, a mentor mom, they call them. And together, they talk through these issues. And what many people have found is it just helps to be able to talk out the issue to hear how others see it. As we're all wrestling to follow Christ, you don't go it alone, you pray for wisdom and then you seek counsel. Talk with someone. Who's gone through the situation? Talk with someone who's older in the faith. Talk with a, a multitude of people so you can gain wisdom. And as you do it, ask yourself some questions like ask yourself, how can I most honor Jesus in this situation? Or here's one how can I do the most good and the least harm in this situation? the most good and the least harm. Because you know what? Sometimes you're in a situation where there's no perfect option. Sometimes there's not even a good option. You're trying to choose between two bad options and you're saying, Lord, I wanna be faithful, but here's my choice. What do I do? How can I do the most good and the least harm? Are y'all still with me? I'm kind of just pounding you with, One piece of advice after another. But first, you got to stay in the tension. Second, you need wisdom. You need to seek wisdom. Now, hopefully, you'll get some insight and you'll know how to go forward or you'll feel like you can make the best decision you can at that moment. And at that point, here's the third point I want to make. Don't try to legislate for other people. So I've got three daughters. I love them equally, and that's why I treat them all differently. And you know what I'm talking about. When, when these girls were, were growing up, they're just so different. They're so different that I have to respond to them differently. I had to discipline them differently. I'm not saying I did it well, but I, I sought to do it well, and I always did it In love, at least that's what I said in the moment of conflict. I'm doing this because I love you. But I dealt with them all differently. Now, think about that. Think about the wider world. Three girls born in the same family, reared in the same family, so different. Think about all the differences among all the people. Think about the different circumstances in whatever scenario you face. Think about the different histories of the people involved, the sensitivities, the beliefs, the concerns. Think about the relationships. It's all so complex. So it's inevitable that we will handle situations that are similar, sometimes in different ways. Do you you follow what I'm saying? It'll sometimes be different. I mean, superficially, they may look like the same situation. So you've you've arrived at a solution, you think, to your particular challenge, and, and you make a choice, and you approach it a certain way, and somebody else seems to be facing the same situation. They decide differently, and you think, oh, that's wrong. Well, maybe it is. And then again, maybe it's not. Maybe what's superficial and looks the same isn't the same because you've got different people, different circumstances, different histories, different, a lot of things. The point is we don't need to be passing judgment on one another when we struggle trying our best to find what faithfulness demands of us. Paul says this very thing in Romans chapter 14. He's talking about all these issues that divide Christians. Some of them are indifferent in themselves, but they're not so indifferent that Christians aren't at each other's throat arguing about them. And Paul says to them, you've got to stop trying to legislate for everyone else. Here are his words, if you'd put those up from Romans 14. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Folks, we need to do the best we can to follow Christ, and we don't need to be criticizing everyone else who is trying to do the same thing. It is difficult to be in the world but not of it. Then, my final point always follow your conscience. Now, I don't say that because your conscience is always right. The fact is, our conscience can be very, very wrong. Sin can twist it, false beliefs can darken it. We actually need our conscience to be transformed. It's part of what Paul talks about. You know, to have our minds renewed. We need our consciences renewed. Our conscience needs to be held captive to the Word of God. I'm not saying the conscience is always right. I'm not saying you should follow your conscience or what some people think I mean by conscience, which is your preference. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should just follow your preference regardless of what the Bible says. I'm not saying anything like that. After the first service, somebody came up and asked me, now, are you saying that we should follow our conscience even when it goes against the Bible? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this, that you're going to face complicated, difficult situations, challenges on where, where, where you're not sure if you're compromising and selling out or if you're being wise and insightful, and you're trying to make that call. You get to a point When you've prayed about it, you've talked to others, you've looked at scripture, you're trying to resolve it, you've gotta make a call and you need to follow your conscience. Better to follow your conscience at that point, even if you're wrong, than to violate your conscience. And Paul is the one who says that. In that same chapter we just read from, Romans chapter 14, after talking about all the issues dividing Christians in Rome, one of them had to do with eating meat. And you think, well, what's the big deal about eating meat? Well, in that world, the meat had probably been sacrificed to God. So a lot of Christians said, you know what? I don't need to be eating meat that's been sacrificed to some pagan deity. Paul himself didn't think that was a problem because he said, you know what? These aren't real gods. It's just meat. But he said some people are still troubled by the association with idolatry and their conscience tells them they shouldn't eat. He says if that's the case, then they shouldn't. Even though they are free to, in Paul's view, they're free before God. They shouldn't because their conscience holds them back. Let me read to you his actual words if you'd put those up. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. In other words, if in your heart of hearts, having sought to know the will and mind of God, you think something is wrong, you shouldn't do it. You think it's right, you should do it. Does that mean you won't make a mistake? No, you might make a mistake. But God can guide the person who is sincere enough to do what their conscience says. And at the end of the day, you've got to take it, you've got to decide, you've got to go forward. Now, I feel like I've been drumming you guys with point after point after point after point. And you're so quiet. And I don't know if it's a bad sermon or if I'm hitting you between the eyes. I'd like to think it's the latter. And I think it's because... We so rarely acknowledge, we so rarely acknowledge how complicated and subtle it can be in real life to follow Jesus, but it sometimes is, and we're all called to follow him. Now, you might be here, and you wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus, but there's something inside you that is drawing you you're not quite sure that you're ready to say oh yes i'll be a christian but but here you are you should not be a, you should not receive christ as your savior unless you are convinced in your mind and heart that he truly is the son of god i'm not trying to coerce you or convince you to do something that that it isn't in your your sincere belief and and inclination to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to force you into faith. But I am saying, stay open and continue to seek. And I am praying that you would discover what I believe to be true, that what's happening in your heart is the Holy Spirit is drawing you. He's drawing you. Respond to that. Yield to that. If you still need to ask questions and seek, then continue to seek. My prayer is that today your seeking will end. Today your seeking will end and that you receive Christ as your Savior. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace can lead us, Lord, through through confusing situations, Lord, you can lead us when we're not quite sure what the right thing might be. And we pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we pray you would give us wisdom and spiritual insight that we might do your will. And we pray, Lord, that that wisdom would be tempered with love always, because we know you are love. We pray for those who are here, Lord, who perhaps have not yet reached the place where they know that you are Lord. God, may you bring them in. May you give them clarity. May they see the truth. And may you give them courage to follow it. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.